Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Now this is the account of Jacob from his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bila and the windblower, and Zilaf. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't even say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about him, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field and we were tying up bundles of grain when suddenly my bundle stood up and your, brother, your bundles gathered around and bowed down low before mine. I don't know if the brothers really were digging this dream so far. So his brothers responded by saying this, So you think that you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told, told his brothers about, listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bow down before me. Now this time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him for this dream. What kind of dream is that, he's asked. Will your mother and I and your, and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. So here's this story, and, and, and it starts out, there's this young man named Joseph. He is 17 years old, and he has this pattern of going out and helping his brothers tend to some sheep. Uh, is there anybody in the house that tend to sheep? No, not a single person, because we don't do that here in America. There's somebody somewhere not here. And so this is his job. He goes out and he's kind of monitoring his brother's progress on how they're tending sheep. And then he goes back and he tells his father everything that the brothers are doing wrong. Um, do y'all remember when you were in school that there was this person called the hall monitor? The hall monitor was the kid that nobody liked. The hall monitor was the kid that watched the halls, that looked to see, hey, do you have a pass? Can you be here? And if not, we are going to turn you in, right? This was the kid that got beat up in the parking lot after school. Was there any, there's a few hall monitors out here. A few of you guys, you don't want to admit it. There goes one. There's a few more. I know my wife was one too. She's like, I was a hall monitor. Nobody liked you. I've had these moments where all of a sudden I get into someone's car and they're quickly changing the radio station to K-Love. I'm like, dude, I like classic rock. Keep it on the, you know, I'm good. Like
like, you know, or, or I go, here's the best one. Like, you go over to someone's house, and they're trying to hide the beer behind the milk. It's like stacks of milk. And they're like, hey, I could get it out of the fridge. They're like, no, don't look in the fridge, Pastor. Like, it's all good, y'all. Like, but there's this kind of thing of like, sometimes we have it in our mind that like, Pastor is the spiritual hall monitor. And, and, and we don't want to mess up. God is the spiritual hall monitor and he's just waiting for us to do something right. Well, maybe God is just actually really just, is just there like, no, I love you. Just as you are. Like, you, you can't earn my love no matter what you've done. I, I remember one thing with the church growing up, one of the big things, and some of you guys will remember this, but, but it used to be a big thing that if you were a guy, you couldn't have long hair. If you had long hair, you might as well have been the Antichrist. I mean, it was just one of those things. If you walk into a church building, and, and I've had long hair at different stages of my life, and, and, and I loved it. I really wish I could pull it off again but there's too many grays now, and it's just not cool anymore. So, but like, I remember having those looks of just like, oh, who's this little long-haired kid? And, and, and this is funny because I don't know what the deal is with like church and haircuts, um, but not too long ago, uh, the, the worship leader up here, Alan, he went and got a really great haircut. Um, my man messed him up so bad that he had these like vanilla ice stripes it, did, it looked like the Adidas sign on the side of his head. And, and he, he, like, he comes into church, and he's like wearing this hat. And I'm like, bro, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, he's like ashamed. And he like takes his hat off. And I, of course, made fun of him for the next hour because that's just the kind of pastor I am. And, and he's just like, bro, I don't know. I just told him I want a little part and then all this stuff. And now I'm vanilla icing it. And then he's like, Lucas, is it okay if I wear a hat to church? on Sunday, and I'm like, okay, this is a great moment. I'm like, no. You got to show the world. You got to let your light shine, you know? And he's just like, man, you know, but he's like, dude, I don't care. Wear a hat. It's all good. And he, so he like wears his hat for the next four weeks because he's so ashamed of this haircut. And, uh, uh, but there's this idea that in some way these things matter and God doesn't care what kind of haircut you have. Like, he is not a spiritual hall monitor. And see, Joseph starts out this way. Joseph starts out being the hall monitor where he's looking and he's seeing his brother's work and he just goes back to the father and he's giving him bad reports. But here is the interesting part where it says, but his father loved him more than the rest of the kids. Now, I, I love reading the Bible because of just the blunt honesty. Like, if you're in here and you're a parent this morning, you would never say that out loud about your children, that you have a favorite, right? But the Bible tells us, no, like, he, like uh, uh, Jacob had a favorite, and it was Joseph. Like, this, like, if you're in here and you have one or two kids, it's easy not to have a favorite. Like, this mug had 12 kids. 12 kids. And, like, so naturally, one is just going to rise to the top, you know? I know you're not supposed to. But it just tells us straight out, this dude had a favorite, it was Joseph. And, and if you're in here, if you're a school teacher, every school year, you're given a class of 15, 16, 20 kids, and, and you're supposed to say, oh, I love all the kids the same, you have a favorite. Don't lie. You know you do. Like, there's that one kid that does all of his homework and algebra, and then there's the other kid that just eats pencil erasers all day long. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Some of y'all were that kid. I was that kid. I, you know? <laughs> But 
it is. He says, he loved him more than the others. But then it gives us the reason. And it says the reason why he loved him more is because he was the son that was born in his old age. Joseph was last. This was the son of his old age, and he was last. And when I read this this week, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he, he wanted to give a word, particularly to some of you folks that are in here, and you're in your 60s, you're in your 70s, you're in your 80s, that there's some dreams that God is going to put in your heart that are going to be last, that are going to be greater than any other dream that you've had before. Come on, somebody. That God is going to put some dreams in your heart now that you thought you were just going to retire. You thought you had worked and finished and that was it and you were just going to play golf all day and this is how it's looked. No, God is going to put some latter dreams in your heart that, man, this is going to be the most favorite thing that you've ever done with your life. God's going to put a passion. There's going to be a skip in your step in your older years that, God, I didn't know it could be this good. See, I, I'm believing that the best is yet to come. That God saves his best for last. God saves his best for last. And, and the scripture tells us this. There's this moment where Jesus goes to this party. It's, it's a wedding feast. And, and everybody's having a good time. But there's a problem. The problem is that they have run out of wine. And so at this point, Jesus' mom goes up to Jesus and says, hey, hey, listen, we're out of wine. Do something about it. And to which Jesus is like, listen, my time has not yet come. And to which I love the next statement that Mary says. Mary turns to the disciples and is like, y'all do whatever he says. In other words, boy, you're going to do something. I mean, you're Jesus, but I'm still your mama. And all of y'all know that moment where your mom's like, I don't care if you're 75 years old. I'm still your mama. You're going to do something about it. And, and so there's this moment where he looks at him and Jesus is like, all right, we're going to do something about it. Bring me all your water. Bring me all your water. And, and, and so at this point, like, oh, hold on, Jesus. This is a party. We don't want no water. We want wine. And, and, and Jesus, I understand you want wine, but bring me your water. No, 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 no. We want wine. I understand you want wine. Bring me your water. See, you've got to bring Jesus your ordinary so he could turn it into something extraordinary. See, some of us, I think, we get so caught up, and we think we're looking for the wine, and Jesus is like, just give me what you got. And, and, and we think, well, God, I, I don't have any talents. God, all, all I do is I, I work nine to five, and I push papers, and, and I'm just bagging groceries. All That's all I do all day long. And God's like, I'll take it. Bring me your water, and watch what I can do with it. See, there's a catch here, though. See, see you, you want to live in the extraordinary, you've got to bring him your ordinary. You've got, you want to see God move in your life? Well, give him the thing that you think is worthless. That's what he wants. He wants the thing that you think. Let, let me be honest with you guys. I really don't have that many talents at all. I, I, if I wasn't doing this, I would not be employable. Like, there, like nobody is going to hire me to, like, build their house or, like, it would, be, it would fall down. Like, I, I have a few skills. One of my skills is... I could tell a pretty good story, right? How, imagine this is your resume. I tell stories. Uh, I, another thing that, that one of my skills I was thinking about this week is I smile a lot. I tell stories 
and smile. Would you like to give me a job? I tell stories, I smile, but then I have this third trait that's just kind of built in me, and that is I don't give up. I'm not a quitter. If anyone knows me, you know that I don't quit. I will work and work and do whatever it takes with the last breath that's in me because I just don't quit. My wife calls it being hard-headed. I say it's a spiritual gift. But I take this ordinary and I put it in the hands of Jesus and I say, God, here's my water. Here's, here, here's everything I have to offer. It ain't much. It, it's, it's not employable by today's standards. But God, if you could do something with it. And if you're in here today and you're, you're, you're looking at your life and you're looking at your resume and, and you're saying, oh, but all I could do is this, I guarantee you, your, your, your resume is better than storyteller and smiles, smiles a lot. God can do something with it. God wants to do something with it. You've got to give him your water. That's the only way. The best is yet to come. See, so this moment happens, and, and I was thinking about how God saves the best for last, and I thought, listen, we're 2,000 years after the cross, and Jesus is coming back soon, y'all. He is returning. I know it seems like it's been a while, but here's the thing. He saves the best for last. And if we're talking about the last days, we're in the last of the last days. And Jesus, I think, wants to do something in this day, in this time, that he's never done before. That he wants to do something. He wants to pour out his spirit on us in such a way that, wait, hold on. Just like the story where the person at the party comes up and says, wait, wait, hold on. Everyone knows you put the best wine up first. And Jesus is like, nah, I left the best for last. He's getting ready to bring something. There's a dream in your heart that God wants to bring to life. But here's the thing. When God starts to bring this dream to life, when things start to go, when he turns your water into wine, all of a sudden you, you get a new coat. See, see Joseph uh, was experiencing the love of Jacob. There was favor on his life. But all of a sudden he gets this new coat and he's loving it, but people will hate you for it. People will look at your dream and it even gets to the moment where his brothers won't even speak to him. See, sometimes when God puts a dream in your heart, the ones that misunderstand it the most are the ones closest to you. And, and, and I just think it's amazing. Even Jesus says, listen, a prophet is not welcome even in his own hometown. Sometimes it's, it's the closeness that's put blinders on our eyes. When you begin to walk with God, when you begin to dream with God, be prepared to be misunderstood. Amen. Be prepared to be misunderstood. Um, during the hurricane, uh, we had a few folks that um, I, I had sold my house. We moved into this condo in this neighborhood right over here called Winding River. And most of the neighborhood evacuated, but there was a few of us brave souls still left. There was probably about seven couples in the whole neighborhood, it felt like. Uh, but we would get together, and, and we'd have meals together, and, and we, just, we just had a good time during the hurricane. And we had a little hurricane party. Um, as a matter of fact, somebody this week or last week texted me this text that said, hey, top ten reasons uh, you know you might go to Coastal Church. And one of the reasons was your pastor says he's throwing a hurricane party um, but he didn't tell you that that hurricane party was at the shelter. So I thought that was a good joke. Y'all didn't. But okay. And, and crickets all over the place fail. Okay. So 
I'm hanging out with these guys, and um, I'm getting to know this one guy, Travis. And, and I think Travis might be in the house this morning, uh, but we're getting another. He's telling me a little bit about his story, his background. I'm telling him about mine. And he gets to this moment where he's just telling me about all of the things that he's been through. And he, he gets to the end of the story, and he's like, Lucas, i got to be honest with you. Like, I, I never wanted to go to church. I never wanted to go to church because I never felt like I was good enough. I never felt like I could, I, I could fit in or I could be good enough. A and then I saw you. Okay. And I'm just like, okay. And then he's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And I'm like, I know what you meant, bro. It's all good. I'm glad that my fragility inspires greatness in you, you know. Uh, I'm glad that I'm in my weakness. No, but I got to thinking, I was thinking about this for a few days, and I thought to myself, that's the way Jesus works. See, sometimes I think we, we read the scriptures, and, and we even look at these disciples and different people that God used, and, and we get this idea that these are heroes. And, and I, don't, I don't think any of the disciples were heroes. They were just dudes that said yes. Jesus was like, that guy over there, yep, I'm going to pick him, just because, just because... No one expects it from him. This boy can't even fish any good, so fish any good. I'm going to pick him. We'll make him the speaker. That's great. We're going to do all that. Y'all don't want to get an email from me. It's even worse. It's like, hooked on phonics. So I think Jesus does this, though. And it's like, you're absolutely right. This is the way that God works. And we see it all throughout the scriptures. We, we see Paul, when Paul would come, Paul would write these letters, and he was this great writer, but he would come on the scene, and people would be like, dude, that's Paul? This guy, this short-statured guy, we were expecting just a monster. And they looked at him because they didn't look like what they expected. As a matter of fact, they looked at Jesus the exact same way. You know, Jesus was ordinary, y'all. Jesus was a normal guy. Jesus was so ordinary that they had to have Judas point him out when he was arrested. Hey, listen, Judas, come over here. Tell us which one Jesus is. See, I think we have this idea that like, when Jesus comes up, it's going to be like he's floating above and he's just shining and there's background music going. And Jesus was ordinary. As a matter of fact, in, in, in the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 13, there's this moment. It says, like, you, talking about hospitality, it says you could be entertaining angels and not even know it. Yep. Think about that for a minute. There could be some angels among us this morning. Jesus could be sitting next to you right now. Look to your left. Look to your right. Did y'all find him? That's the problem. Oh, you see, I just flipped around on you. No, see, he is. He's among us. See, I went to this group this week uh, at Ray and Donna's house, one of our growth groups, and this whole group of people, and they're getting together, and they're talking, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm listening, and the scripture's coming to my mind, and it's talking about, man, there could be angels among us. I just thought, man, I wonder how many world changers are in this room right now. I wonder how many, the, the next Billy Graham, the next whatever, the next you. God, God's saying like, there are people among us right now. There are some dreams inside some of your hearts that God is going to use to literally change the world. And, and if we only look through our natural eyes, we'll miss it. It'll just become, oh, well, that's just my spouse. That's just my children. That's just my neighbor. No, that's a world changer. There's dreams and there's passions that God's put in that person's life.
that maybe part of your goal, maybe part of your calling is to help call out what God's put in them. But if we're not careful, we won't have eyes to see what God is doing. See, Joseph is telling this dream, and it's amazing how quickly these brothers and the father became like dream interpreters. Like, he tells them this dream of uh, uh, there's this, this stalk and these things are bound down and there's this sun, this moon, and the stars. And they didn't even, like, for one second think that they understood the interpretation of the, the dream. They just like, and what do you mean by that? Uh, what do you mean that we're all going to bow down before you? And, and I, th- I think what's amazing about this is when God gives us a dream, sometimes he just gives us a flash. He just gives us a brief, this is what it's going to look like. And see, when, when, when Joseph, I think, had this, man, it, it was a real quick interpretation of, oh, man, my stock's going to rise up, and all of y'all's stocks is, is going to bow down before my stock. And, and I got to tell you, like, imagine this moment. If I was up here this morning, I'm going to give y'all the, hey, guys, this is the vision of the church. This is where we're going to go in the next few years. My stock is going to rise up, and all y'all's stock's going to bow down real low. Grace and peace. Y'all be like, hey, I, ain't, I don't want to be a part of that church. That, that's, a horrible, that's a horrible vision, right? It's a horrible dream. But here's the thing. He had a flash. See, what he didn't understand is everything that was going to have to happen for that to be fulfilled. See, he, see, what he didn't understand then is he thought that he was going to be great in all of his brothers and his father's eyes. But what he didn't understand is who is greatest among you, let him be your servant. See, he was only 17 years old, and he hadn't learned this lesson. So the point comes, whenever the story summates, and and there is this moment where all of his brothers bow down, you know what actually happens? There's a tear in his eye. As a matter of fact, he has to run out the room crying, because the situation isn't what he thought it was going to be. See, when he was 17, the dream was, hey, me rising up, y'all bowing down. But now when it actually comes to pass, you know what? He doesn't understand all of the circumstances that took to get there, because there's a great famine in the land. Family members, people all around him are dying. And God has used him to help save a nation. And so it's no longer about him being great. It's about him being the servant to all. As a matter of fact, God used him to help save his brother's lives. The very ones that are going to later throw him in a pit. See, we think we might have the full understanding of the dream, but God got to walk us through some maturity process. And, and, And if we're just too quick to just... Judge the dream for what it is, man, we'll give up when it doesn't go the way we think it should. When God puts a dream in your heart, be prepared to be misunderstood. Be prepared to not have the skills necessary. Be prepared for it to not be this exact time frame that you thought it was going to work in. See, Joseph was favored, but he was also despised, criticized, and misunderstood. And I found this to be true of most things in life. I want to give you real quick three things, three stages of the growth of a dream. The first stage I would call this infancy. In the infancy stage, you try to express a dream that no one else understands, and so it's very easily dismissed. Dreams in their infancy stages are very easily dismissed. And the reason why is because we see the highlights but we very rarely see the lowlights. See, Joseph saw the end, and he saw this bowing down, but he didn't see all of the process that was going to go through to get to where he needed to be. 
Dreams in their infancy are dismissed because we very rarely have a full understanding of what they mean. The second thing, adolescence. This is where your dream starts to gain some traction. It begins to draw some attention of others. This is where your dream begins to get criticized. This, this is whenever God puts a coat of favor on you, that coat will draw critics. Anytime you begin to move with God and you begin to gain some traction, there will be critics. Um, I, I wrote this down. I want to read it to you. It said, you have got to learn how to handle critics or your critics will handle you. You have got to learn how to handle critics or your critics will handle you. Now, that's a whole other sermon all of its, all in itself, but real quick, I have this moment. This was actually multiple moments throughout learning what it means to be a pastor for me. See, I spent a few years as we began the church trying to be a pastor that I thought was everybody wanted and what I was supposed to be, and I judged it by what I saw in others, and, and, and I was a miserable failure at it because I had to learn what it was to just be me. And, and I got to be honest, I had a hard time with the critics. Uh, uh, there would be these services and things would happen and things would go bad and, or, or whatever would happen, and I'd get these letters in the mail. And, and if any of y'all have ever been uh, a pastor in ministry, have you ever had moments where you've poured out your heart for another and you got that phone call, you got that letter, and they just proceeded to tell you how much you suck? You know what I'm talking about? I've had multiple ones of those. And, and, and I'd get these letters, and I've got to be honest, they would just hurt. It, it would hurt. It would, just, it would just hurt on the inside. And, and, and I'd come home. The, the day could have been great, but I read this one letter. I read this one email, and it just shattered me. And I would be down, and I would be depressed. And it got to the point where uh, I'd come home, and my wife and kids are all happy. And they're like, Lucas, why, why, why are you sad? And I'm like, well, this happened, and... And they misunderstood this, and that, or I did this, and, that, and I wasn't good enough for that. And, and, and I would just, and, and finally I realized, like, I've got to learn how to handle my critics, or they're, they're, they're going to dictate how I live my life. I'm going to be miserable if I spend my time just listening to everybody that has their opinion on, on me and how I should be. And, and, and it's taken some time. It's taken some time to learn how to, to, to have this dream, to have God give you some favor and to literally get to the point where you can ignore your critics. Because I've learned this, like, you can't waste your time with all the critics. But here's what you can do. You could outlast them. You could outlast them. I've learned this about critics. Critics don't have any endurance at all. Critics are good or making a whole lot of noise for a shorter period of time. They can make a, a lot of noise. They can get a lot of things going. They can mess with your emotions. They can make it. But you know what? They ain't going to last. And so all you've got to do to handle your critics is not spend your time responding to them. Just simply outlast them. Let your life be a testimony. I know you think the dream's never going to happen. I know you think what we're doing is crazy, but just watch what happens. Just watch as God unfolds and unravels in my life. And see, the thing about critics is they're spending all their time on the bench pointing of what you should have done, but what they never did. And see, maybe someone in this room this morning, you've been that critic. You've been that hall monitor. You've been that person saying, well, if I was like them, then I would do it this way. And, and uh, well, you know what? Well, then do it that way. 
Come on, we're all in this together. We are one body, we are one church, and when one member hurts, we all hurt. And so, so we're in this together. There's this whole idea of like, man, we like to easily blame stuff on the church. Do you realize you are the church? You are, all of us are in this together. And so whenever, whenever the church needs to do something, we need to do something. We are his hands. We are his feet. And we're in this together. Just outlast them. Outlast the critics. Uh, if not, your critics will try to get you f- to stop completing the work that God has called you to do. They were doing this with Nehemiah. Nehemiah had this dream to build a wall. Next thing you know, all they tried to do is get him to stop his work. Stop his work. You know what Nehemiah said? I don't have time for that. I've got work to do. God's put a dream in my heart, and I'm not going to listen to it. I'm keeping the work on this wall. So there's infancy. There's adulthood. There's the, the part where your dream is dismissed. There's the part where your dream is criticized. And then there's what I would call adulthood. This is where the dream begins to, to fully realize itself. This is where you're living in the sweet spot, and everything that God's told you, it's coming to pass. But there's this moment. This is where you think everyone would celebrate with you. But this is the moment where often your dream gets resented. This is, this is the point where others, they, they, they pile it on even more. And what was supposed to be a joyous occasion, man, they just try their best to throw stones. See, I'm trying to give you all of this because here's the thing. I believe God is getting ready to burst the more dreams in your heart. And, and, and if you just think that it's going to be an easy road, you're going to give up on those dreams. And so you've got to be prepared. You've got to be misunderstood, dismissed, criticized, and resented if you want to see what God is going to do in your life come to pass. See, the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus, all they saw was resentment because the Savior wasn't coming in the package that they thought he should. And if they would have just humbled themselves, they could have been a part of the most, I mean, this moment in history These these few moments in history where Jesus walked in the flesh among us, and they could have been a part of that, but they were so caught up in their own thing that they missed the dream realized. And they threw stones, and they ultimately crucified. If you're taking notes, write this down. When your dream is small, they'll dismiss you. When your dream is growing, they'll criticize you. And when your dream is realized, they'll resent you. So ignore them and do whatever it is that God's called you to do. You've got to ignore the them and focus on the thing that God has called you to do, to see that dream come to pass. You've got to be secure in what God has spoken to you. You have got to be secure in what God has spoken to you, because if you're not, someone else will speak a word over you, and you'll begin to believe what they said. If you don't believe what God has said, you'll begin to believe what they have said. And here's the thing about they. They, oftentimes when they're looking at you, they're judging you from two things. They're judging you from your past or they're judging you from your present. Look at him. Look at her. Look at their past. Look at what they've done. They'll never amount to much. Look at the present. Look at what they're at. This dream will never get realized. They'll never do anything with their lives. See, but God never judges us from our past. God never even looks at our present. God always looks at us and says, I'm judging you from the point in which I've always created you to be from the very beginning. And there's nothing that you could do that could stop that. 
There's nothing that you have done that would make these things be void. I love you. My heart goes out to you. I've bled for you and I've died for you. And there's something of myself that I've put in you. And that's why when I say, let your light shine, it's the light that I've put in you. There's something of Jesus inside of you that the world is waiting to see. Can we all stand to our feet? Over the next few weeks, I want to talk about awakening the dreams that God has put in you. I want to talk to you about seeing those dreams come to pass. And and like I said, I want to remind some of you, if you're in here and you're in some of your older years, God ain't through with you. We need you. We need you. There's going to be something that God puts in your heart. Maybe it's already there, but you've doubted it. You've thought, God, I don't see how you could do this with me now. See, it even got to the point where Abraham and his wife Sarah, God had put something in their hearts to the point where God spoke to them and she laughed about it. How can I get pregnant in my old age? Maybe there's some folks in here, you've laughed about the dream that God has put in your heart. And God's like, we'll see. We'll see. Let's pray together. If you're in here this morning and you just kind of feel like you've given up on your dreams, if you're in here this morning and you just feel like you've had a dream that you've put on the back burner for so many years, you look at it and you think there's no way that this is possible. Even those moments where you've spoken it out, you've only been met with misunderstanding. Where Joseph's brothers has told you, what do you think dreaming those kind of dreams? I believe God wants to move in your life. And so God, this morning, Lord, we believe in you. We believe in your promises. Lord, there's some of us in here that we've been praying the same prayers for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, God. Help us not to quit. Help us not to quit now. God, we don't want to give up on the verge of our dreams. Because they're not really our dreams, God. They're your dreams. Awaken our souls, oh Lord. Awaken our souls to what you have for us, Jesus. Our lives are yours, God. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.